0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting
1: a series of messages in the Gospel of John. Today's program is a continuation of the introduction by John in chapter 1. John spoke about John the Baptist, John the Baptist being someone who God sent in advance, who would testify of who God is when he arrives. The living God decided to manifest in the flesh at this appointed time in history in order to accomplish a number of tasks. And he sent John the Baptist in advance so that John would prepare the way for Jesus to come. And John would testify that Jesus is the person who, who the people were waiting for, the Messiah, the one who would save them. And so John the Baptist was sent by God and he testified of who God was when he arrived. This is described in John chapter 1 verse 6 where it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John and this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light That all through him might believe. And so our God wanted people to believe John, John the Baptist, and they wanted the people to believe him when he arrived. This is something that God genuinely wants. He tells the truth, what he does is important, and he wants people to believe him when he speaks, when he communicates with them. This is important, because if you don't have honest communication with people, with another individual, there's no way to have a real and genuine relationship with them. And so we have a God who wants people to believe him, to believe in him, so that he can have a real and genuine relationship with them. And so he instructed John the Baptist to testify on his behalf that he is a person who the people should pay attention to. This, of course, is simply much better than Jesus just showing up and saying, I am a person who you should believe in. If he can have someone else who will speak on his behalf, then other people will be encouraged a little bit more to pay attention to what he has to say and what he is doing. Continuing again in John chapter one, verse seven, it says, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean, of course, that everyone is going to believe. What John records here is that God sent John the Baptist so that the people might believe all the people might, might believe they may believe What John says, now obviously we can tell by continuing to read that the people did not believe, in fact very few really believed what he had to say about the Lord Jesus, but God still sent him and so that people might, so that maybe everyone will. This is an interest that God has and something that we can see by this, that we have a God who wants everyone to believe him. He's not discriminating between one person or another. He really does want everyone to believe him. Of course, not everyone is going to believe him, but that is a choice that each individual makes for themselves. It is a decision that each person makes. It is not a decision of God. Our God proclaims the truth, and we as individuals get to decide if we are going to believe and respond to that truth or not. Those who do believe God are the kinds of people who God wants in his life. This is a way that God does discriminate by saying, in effect, look, I only want people who will believe me. And so the rest of you, if you are not going to believe me, you are not the kind of person who I want to have in my life. He wants everyone, but he wants everyone on the basis of their willingness to believe what he has to say and to believe in him. Continuing in verse 8, he was not that light, referring to John the Baptist. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. I believe that the way that this is said is a way of saying, regardless of who anyone is, everyone, Who comes into this world will have some exposure to the truth of our God, to the light of God. Everyone will have a moment of some kind somewhere throughout their lives. Our God will find a way to reveal himself to them and show them his light in some capacity. And everyone will have a legitimate opportunity to either accept their God or to reject him. Continuing in John chapter 1, verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. That's very interesting to see that our God would be willing to create a world. He did. He created this world knowing that the people in this world, the overwhelming majority of the people in this world, would not know him, And most people would not want to know him. Why would he do that? If you can think about that for just a moment, it's a very important question. Why would God create a world? This world would be through him. It would be by him. It would be made for him. And yet most of the people, the world, did not know him. They certainly did not know him when he showed up personally. Why would he do that? Well, it turns out that not everyone rejects God. Not everyone will take the position that they do not want to know him. What happened was that some people wanted to know him. And that continues even to this day. To this day, one generation after the next, every time we have a new generation of people, there is a new group of people, some of which will want to know their God. And so while our God does experience a tremendous amount of rejection by the people who he created, who he considers to be his own, while he does experience that, he still gets some. And it is better for him to have some people than to have no people, to have none. This is the trade-off and why it is worth it. It is worth it to him because Some will believe the truth, respond to the truth, and pursue a knowledge and a relationship with him. For that reason, what he is doing here is, of course, acceptable, very much acceptable and good. It is a good thing. Yes, there is a tremendous amount of pain and suffering and destruction because of the decisions that people make, but in the midst of all of that, there are some Who God will be able to have for Himself. Continuing to read into verse 11, He came to His own and His own did not receive Him. Now, He's referring to two groups of people inherently in this statement. The first group is, of course, the children of Israel and those who have survived the centuries, specifically the Jews. The Jews were the predominant group of people who were left of the 12 tribes of Israel there in Israel at this time. And he considered them to be his own, but not exclusively in the sense that he didn't consider other people to be his own. That's the second way of understanding this, that, of course, he does consider others to be for him. But as many, in verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, what's important to see here in verse 12 is that just because a person will receive him, that doesn't mean that they are automatically a child of God. They need to receive him on the basis of the gospel of the good news They need to receive him on the basis of the new covenant in order to really become a child of God. And so a person may receive him in the sense that they are willing to listen to him. They may receive him into their home. They may receive him in the sense that they may go out and listen to what he has to say. They may hold him in high regard, but until a person surrenders to the new covenant on the basis of embracing the forgiveness of sins that they need and the restoration of life that they need because they are spiritually dead. Until then, they are not a child of God. They have not been born again. And so it's important to be able to distinguish between those who receive him and those who are saved. Again, in verse 11, where it says, "...he came to his own." And his own did not receive him. He wants people to receive him. He genuinely does. This is something that he seeks. This is something that he is interested in. But he allows people to decide if they want to receive him or not. In verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And so of those who are willing to receive Him, there will be those of that group who God is willing to receive Himself. There will be those who God will be willing to save. Those people who will genuinely believe Him and trust Him and rely on Him. In verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Through the restoration of the spirit of life, a person becomes a new creation, a new person, a child of the living God. And then John proceeds and he talks about our God who really did come personally in order to invite people to have this relationship with him. In verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh, And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, and he was before me. In verse 16, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. It's a way of saying that our God came to live as a man. He did not come to live as God, but he came with the identification of being the son of God. So that we could understand him in a simpler way and not try to understand him in the fullness of who he is, but to be able to grapple with him a little bit at a time. Now, remember, this was the time when God decided to come. It would be nice if he came today or sometime this year and he would be around us and with us and perform some miracles like he did back then. I can appreciate that. I can certainly understand why people would perhaps want him to do that. But this was the time when we have this recorded, this was the time, which was about 2,000 years ago now, when God decided to do this, and we have to respect his decision, and what we have is a historical record of the testimony of those who were there who witnessed what God accomplished. Now, the way that our God accomplished salvation was in transitions. He did this through stages. There were a number of problems that our God was addressing, that he was solving over a period of time. Moses was a participant in this, just as John the Baptist was a participant in this. In verse 17, it says, for the law was given through Moses. Well, yes, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses had a role. Moses had a purpose. He was used by God in order to present the law that was given through Moses, referred to as the law of God or the law of Moses. Moses had a very important part, and there was a time for Moses. There was an appointed time for God to work with the people in the world through Moses. That was a very important time because it was then that God made his official contribution towards mankind's great effort to try to be like him through the knowledge of good and evil. This was one of the things that God accomplished through the giving of the law. He accomplished many things through the giving of the law. And the more we study the scriptures and the more we study what our God has accomplished, the more we can see how everything is so interconnected and how everything has its place. Everybody had their part who were spoken of in the scriptures. The law was given through Moses by God in order to address a number of things. But in this context, it was to show That there was no way that a person could be right with God by their obedience, by their repentance and their obedience, by their knowledge of what is right and wrong as is described by the law. There's no way that a person is going to be right with God. This means that by necessity, God will have to provide forgiveness. He will have to be gracious. He will have to be merciful. And what we have here in this testimony that John has given us is John said that's why he came. He came at this time so he could present the truth, tell the truth, give us the truth that we need, and also provide us with the grace and mercy that we have a need for. Otherwise, there is no hope whatsoever for us to have a personal relationship with him or to have a place with him in eternity. And so what I want you to see here, what I think you should really notice, is the fact that our God really does want you. He really does want you. He wants all of us to be a part of his life. He wants everyone to know who he is. He wants to be a participant in our lives. He's willing to personally show up like this and reveal himself and speak to us and be involved in the things that are going on in our lives, we have a God who wants to participate with us, and we have a God who wants us to participate with him. And he respects everyone's decision to accept him or reject him as they live here on this earth. But of course, there will come a time when we are no longer permitted by God to be here in this world that is his And when that time comes, when our flesh finally gives out, there will be a judgment. And this judgment will be simple. It's not going to be on the basis of sin. If it was to be on the basis of sin, then nobody would enter into the kingdom of heaven. If a person wants to be judged according to their works or according to the amount of sin that they have in their life, he certainly will accommodate that. And many people will be judged according to their works just because they rejected salvation. And for those people, the judgment will not be good. It will not end well. Our God will not address the issue of sin when we go see him. He has already addressed that issue. He died for the sins of the world. When we go into the presence of our God after we physically die, the only question that remains is, are we dead Or are we alive? We are certainly dead physically, but are we spiritually dead? Or are we spiritually alive? Did we surrender to the new covenant? Did we receive the Holy Spirit of God? Or did we reject the new covenant? And did we reject the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that he offered to humanity? If we rejected our God in that respect, then we will go to the place For the people who are not spiritually alive. And our God referred to that place as the pit of hell. With regards to the people who did receive the Holy Spirit, they are those who are children of God, who have been born again. They are alive and they will have a place among the living with the living God. And so John the Baptist spoke about the Lord Jesus coming. He spoke about him coming, the Messiah is coming, and he testified of exactly who this person is to the people who were waiting for John to testify of this person. He testified and he proclaimed exactly who this person was when he showed up, which was the Lord Jesus. In verse 19, John chapter 1, verse 19, it says, now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you, whom you do not know. It is he who... Coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. All right. And so in verse 26, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. There was someone who they did not know who was not going to baptize with water, he is the person who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This was what John was saying to the people, the people who were there. Now, what's very important to consider is what gave John the Baptist some sense of credibility. What gave him some authority? What made him so important that the people would even bother to go and listen to him? What was so unique about him? People could have considered him to just be some crazy guy. You know, we've got some guy out here eating locusts and honey. He's eating bugs and honey. And he's standing around in the Jordan and he's, he's baptizing people or he's asking people if they want to be baptized. And he's speaking about the Messiah who is coming. Why wouldn't the people just consider him to be some crazy guy and just ignore him? After all, if the Messiah is going to come, So he comes. John was proclaiming that he was going to identify who this person is. But the people didn't have to pay attention to that. They didn't have to think about that at all. They could have just waited until somebody said, hey, John mentioned that this is the guy. Well, that's great, you know. But how do we know that John is important? How do we know that he has any credibility of any kind? I mean, if you look carefully... At John the Baptist, and you look at what he was doing, you look at how he was dressed, what he was eating, from our point of view, we could look at this guy and say, this person is someone who might be interesting, but not interesting enough for us to really put any time and effort into this person. But it says in verse 24, now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, why do you baptize? The Pharisees sent people out. People were officially sent to go and find this guy, to go and find John the Baptist out there in the wilderness, somewhere along the Jordan, to go find him and ask him, who do you think you are? When he himself is testifying and saying, I am none of these people who you are interested in. They should have known that. They would have been told that by the person who went to them and said, there's this crazy guy out there doing these things. They would have been told that he was not identifying himself as one of these people. But the Pharisees sent out representatives to go and investigate him, question him and examine him and to see what was going on. Well, for John to just open his mouth like he was, was certainly no big deal. And for him to be dressed and have the diet that he had was certainly no big deal at all either. What was significant was that he was baptizing and that there were people who were allowing him to baptize them. Now, this was a really big deal because baptism had meaning in that society. It was not something that just started with John the Baptist. John the Baptist did not create, invent, or start baptism. That was not when it was introduced. The ritual of baptism, the procedure, the experience of water baptism, was something that the people already knew about, and it already had distinct meaning in that society. And so when John was baptizing... He was baptizing in a way that was contrary to the meaning and the purpose of baptism in that society at that time. And this is why the religious leaders went to go ask John, who do you think you are? And I will explain this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This program is the third program in the verse-by-verse study on the Gospel of John. In this program, I spent a little bit more time talking about the interests of God, what his interests are, some of his purposes. And then I proceeded to talk a little bit about the testimony of John the Baptist, the things that he said and the things that he did. And I introduced the subject of baptism as something that the people at that time already knew about. It was not something that was new. It was not something that was introduced by John the Baptist. In the next program, I will talk about the history of baptism, which will help you appreciate the importance of what John was doing there in the Jordan.